you like audiobooks or audio shows, check out a free trial of Audible. Just click the link in the description. Welcome to Mind Shack True Crime. This is your host, Bruce McGuire. Powers. And Johnny Mills. You are listening to the Maura Murray series. We are on episode 25. Wow. Local rumors. Whoa. We're going to be going over stuff that has not been talked about before. We've been sitting on it for a while. And just as a disclaimer, this episode is just a rumor mill discussion based on very limited available information, which is just wild speculation based on hearsay. So all the uh, illogical trolls out there, we're not purporting any theories as true on this one in a case that's been unsolved for this long and so little is verified is one of the reasons that there are so many rumors in this case and there are so little cold hard facts so we will be running down the gauntlet on all of these rumors and examining them for veracity not pushing them forward as facts or legitimate truth in any way just an attempt to kind of rule out their uh, legitimacy. If some of them can be ruled out, we can rule them out so we don't have to speculate on them any further. Once again, if you like the podcast, you can donate to our PayPal. Just check the link in the description. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel. Hit the bell for notifications. And make sure you like our Facebook page as well. And you can check us out on Reddit, Twitter, and Patreon as well. Okay. Did I introduce myself? Yeah. We did it we in did the it? beginning. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> All right, so... Maxwell Arby. Maxwell. <laughs> 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 All right. So, uh, Maxwell, do you know who Mormor is? Oh, man. Yeah, I know who she is, but yeah. Do you know what New Hampshire is? <laughs> <laughs> yes, no? The Lord of the Rings version of your New Hampshire? My New Hampshire. Oh, yeah. The state of New Hampshire? All right, so first, the first rumor we have to tackle is, of course, a very long-standing rumor. We might have mentioned it on one of the original episodes, but the overdose at a party rumor. So John Smith actually mentioned this rumor. These are his words about the rumor. There is a local Haverhill, New Hampshire rumor that Mora was headed to a party in that area close to where she went missing. The party was supposedly where Mora was drinking and they gave her drugs and she overdosed by accident. The people at the party then did not know what to do so they disposed of her body. The location of that party is still unknown and would be a big clue for this case. Is that the lake area? The lake party? No, there was no th- these are local rumors from Haverhill. Mm. So we have heard that this party was either in Haverhill, Woodsville, Bath or Easton. So, like, quite a few different areas, a lot of different rumors, obviously, as with any unsolved case, rumors run rampant. So, the OD rumor, some people kind of take it more credible than others. In our previous episode, Ping Pong, we kind of went over the rumor that there was some kind of a river party where this might have happened. But separate from that party, there were th- that those were rumors that somebody on the track team knew some guys in that area so there's rumors from all different directions we're going to be tackling mostly the local rumors in and around haverhill so uh maxwell having been such uh, an ardent researcher in this case what uh what do you think about this rumor 
Any credibility? What do you think of the chances are that you went up there for a party, OD'd, and they were too scared to go to the police or whatever, so they just dumped her somewhere, and she remains unfound to this day, and that's why nobody speaks out, because they're just afraid to get in trouble, even though nobody actually intended to kill her or even harm her. It was just, uh, just an OD. Happens all the time, right? Mm, I like that. Um, when they say OD, what are they talking about? A, a Overdose. Of what? Oh, anything. I'm trying. I'm trying Whatever. to play out the theory. That's pretty. I mean, cool. it could be alcohol. I mean, could be alcohol overdose. We don't know. Just drunk, drink too much, alcohol poisoning. I'm trying to play out the theory. So, like, so they, so one of the uh, people in the group that got her to overdose, like, probably just drove her car all the way up and then. So the, par- to, the party somewhere else. She she they. Oh oh, she drove. Off. She drove somewhere else, and they drove. So she did go into New Hampshire. New Hampshire. And know. then she went to some party. Then they had to dump the car, yeah. obviously, because otherwise yeah. the car so, would be at so, their house. So, yeah. so someone was driving, probably possibly be behind the the Saturn, and then picked her up, and then went somewhere. The car, the car crashed too early. Oh really? I think so. To, I mean, uh, or maybe it was a. I don't know. I'm just saying the whole like uh, oh, OD angle. True. Like I don't yeah. know, her car crashed way too early. What was it? Seven or eight? Even oh, if it was that's ten. An early party. Mm, that's that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is that is a strike against <laughs> that is a strike against the party. Although it was winter, so it would be dark at in February. It'd be dark at what oh, five something? That's true. Yeah, but still, like, yeah, I don't know. Parties probably like start later. Well, maybe the like if this maybe, was two a.m., then I would well, probably believe it. It would be like, uh, yo, let's do it early, like the drug thing, to get. Yeah, if like she was really doing, high. like, heroin or something, then maybe, but... Because uh, that's what I thought when you said OD. I thought, like... We don't, I mean, like once drugs. again, these are unsubstantiated rumors of what other people are saying. You know, we're not yeah. saying... I don't even see her as even being, like, the rumors about her being an alcoholic or even drinking that much, yeah, I don't see them as substantiated either. We're talking about hearsay here. What'd she do, yeah. buy, like, a six-pack of beer? That's what she did? Well, if she bought that. I mean, uh, she we don't know what she bought. Wine. I mean, she bought wine. She bought all these in- ingredients for different drinks vodka whatever so but it seemed like it was for more than one person though so yeah. if that was her now once again they don't release they have not released the liquor store footage so but they maintain that she was alone law enforcement said that she's alone in the footage i'm thinking that might not even be her right because we can't prove it so if we're dealing with facts only we don't know that it was her who purchased the alcohol if it was her we don't know if she was alone we don't know if somebody could have been waiting outside coerced or not or not could have been a friend and we, we have no clue. We have no clue. So, yeah, what if she was kidnapped and then the kidnapper said, go get all the money out of your ATM? And she's on the ATM. <laughs> that could be a possibility, right? Can't that happen? Mm, I mean, yeah. I don't know. So the I'm actually going to read uh, I'm gonna read a post from John Smith on his blog that he posted for Christmas. The undeniable truth is unavoidable. Sometimes you just got to poke the bear. I don't know if you know about this news, Max. So this is like the biggest news in the case in a while. We are now approaching the 15th year. Yes, 15 years since Maura Murray mysteriously disappeared in Haverhill, New Hampshire. 15 years with no real answers in what seems to be a wall of silence in this case. The Murray family deserves closure in what must be absolute agony of not knowing what happened to Maura. It is time for the truth. It is time for justice. It is time for closure. It is time. The recent information supplied by the team, and he's talking about his own search team, not affiliated with the other podcast guys, not affiliated with Maggie or Art or the Oxygen Show. We're talking about another independent team here. 
So the recent information supplied by the team to the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit and the FBI on December 7th, 2018, included documentation from professional cadaver dog handlers, videos taken during dog searches for human remains at location, unlike the Stephen Avery case. Anyway, uh, initial analysis of the GPR testing done at the location indicated an anomaly and the official affidavit. The New Hampshire State Police were well aware of this location in mid-2004 because Fred Murray had shared reports from locals indicating involvement by the owner and the presence of new concrete being poured at this location. So it seems like there were two or three people pouring concrete at this time in winter, which is kind of shady. So this is one of these people. We don't know who it is. It is unclear if, or he said it's not Rick Forcier. So it's not Rick Forcier who was a construction guy. So it's one of these other people. It could be the construction guy that we went over in a person of interest podcast, or it could be another guy, or it could be the, the two guys that worked in construction that were supposedly related to someone on the UMass track team that the rumor is that that person invited them up to this party in New Hampshire. So it is unclear if New Hampshire State Police followed up on this lead at all. On October 2nd, 2018, I received a tip about a location that could be possibly connected to the disappearance of Mora. After a bit more research to verify the tip, I shared it with the team on October 3rd, 2018. The tip was thoroughly investigated, revealing that was indeed the same property that New Hampshire State Police were alerted to back in 2004. A plan was made to gain entry to the property to further look into this location and any connection to the disappearance of Mora. The landowners were approached and granted us access to the location to do the searches with cadaver dogs and GPR testing. Because the landowners granted us access, we did not have to go through the legalities of obtaining a probable cause warrant like law enforcement would be required to do so. What was accomplished by this small group of citizens provided to law enforcement a paved way for an easy transition into the property with a warrant in hand. The first cadaver dog and handler was brought in on November 25th, 2018, and a positive hit was indicated and video recorded. The second cadaver dog and handler was brought in on December 1st, 2018, and a positive hit in the same location was indicated and video recorded. By the way, I mean, there's, there's people who think that these so-called dog hits are not reliable. There is a number of scientific studied, peer-reviewed study for people who believe in that kind of thing <laughs> that show that cadaver dogs have a 95 to 98 percent accuracy rate even after 15 years uh, it depends on the lo it depends on location and environment and the dog and the training but yes in a variety of situations but you're talking about uh like concrete that was poured they're smelling it through that yes and they're actually capable of doing it through concrete. Who did more this? Than... Is, so the uh, John Smith did this, this whole thing? This is John Smith's with... team that he's affiliated with, yeah. Damn. Is he releasing this video also, or uh, is well, it just secret for now? Or... Yeah, he didn't say where the location was, so he's not going to release the video. The video is just it's on somebody's law... property, though. Yes, a person who the law enforcement was aware of in 2004 and who people tipped off Fred Murray about. So this apparently was not investigated. Was this intentionally not investigated? We don't know, but let me finish but with this. This is the same person that still lives there? No. Was, they're new is... owners that allowed the property. Ah, so okay. they left. The other thing that's suspicious, did this person die? We don't know who this person is. So, Damn. 
So the GPR specialist was then given the scene to conduct a ground-penetrating radar scan of the suspected location and the emitted area. That scan was conducted and lasted about two hours. Once all documentation was obtained, an evidence package was put together. The affidavit was drafted and submitted on December 7th, 2018. On December 10th, 2018, I posted a statement on Reddit on the Maura Murray Mindshock Reddit, actually, about the information and removed it about an hour later. On December 12th, 2018, I reposted the edited version of the statement to Reddit and Twitter. So sometime after the statement was posted, Maggie Freeling called and spoke to someone at New Hampshire State Police, best guess, Chuck West. You know who that is, Maxwell? No, who's <laughs> we talked about him for a while. Her tweet, her tweet would indicate that whomever she spoke with revealed some sort of information to her. Are the words in the tweet hers or those of the officer she spoke with? Someone seems to be steering the discredit train. What exactly was relayed to Maggie Freeling during that call? The New Hampshire State Police, Major Crimes, and FBI have had this viable information for 16 days. To our knowledge, there has been nothing done by New Hampshire State Police to check this location to confirm or rule out the recent results obtained by the professionals acquired by the team. What is known is that the location was a place of interest back around 2004. The New Hampshire State Police were alerted and later indicated they had looked into it. Whether they did or not, we don't know. What exactly did the New Hampshire State Police do at the time to investigate this location? Did they bring in cadaver dogs or GPR scanning equipment? How was this location ruled out way back around 2004? The new investigative information uncovered by the team and turned over to New Hampshire State Police and the FBI on December 7, 2018 is viable and certainly evidential in a crime. What crime occurred, if any, is still up for debate, but the results from the recent cadaver and GPR scan indicate human remains what? are at that location location are the remains those of Maura Murray that is unclear but the investigation led us here if indeed the location that the New Hampshire State Police looked into back around 2004 and the one the team recently investigated are the same property which I have now confirmed from New Hampshire State Police how is it possible that the New Hampshire State Police work turned up nothing wait hold on so they could dig that up right yeah they don't need a warrant if the owner agrees to the search. Like, would the police have to do that, or he could do it himself? Like, He could do it. Well, before we get, let me finish the statement. Uh, is it possible that nothing was ever disclosed about their findings, or if there was anything conclusive, or is it possible nothing at all was ever done at this location? It has been 16 days since the new information was turned over to New Hampshire State Police and the FBI. The new information is credible and is evidential in a possible crime. There are positive hits for human remains at the location. Why does it seem the authorities are ignoring this new information and putting up a wall of silence after receiving this credible information. Could the reasoning behind the actions of New Hampshire State Police all be based upon their previous findings from back around 2004? If their reasoning is based upon their earlier findings or lack thereof, then wouldn't the new evidential findings by professionals be a vital tool? In the investigation, if indeed the original search by the New Hampshire State Police turned up nothing at this location, red flags everywhere. The new information provided to the New Hampshire State Police and FBI by the team should raise a huge red flag at the location and it should be treated as a crime scene. This location needs to be investigated again. The location has an indication of human remains and an anomaly and therefore this location has what would appear to be viable evidence in a possible crime, and the evidence could point to the crime and the person or people involved. We know for a fact that the New Hampshire State Police and FBI were notified of the new information and the affidavit was filed on December 7th, 2018. Who else is aware of the information that was turned over to these entities? Is the New Hampshire Attorney General's Office or the governor in the know? 
This has been a very high-profile case, especially in the last couple of years, and the online community, as well as national media, is just sitting in the corner waiting for the answers to come out. One would think that the authorities would want to be as transparent as possible in light of the fact that the attention factor on this case grows exponentially by the day. The professional cadaver dog handlers and their canines are certified and well-respected in the law enforcement community. They have been resourceful in aiding the police in previous cases and are leaders in their field in the Northeast with a history of success. The GPR forensics anthropologists are number one in their field and the developers of grand-penetrating radar science and sought after worldwide. This post is stating undeniable facts that must not be dismissed. I am not speaking for the family. This post is an update as to what has happened since we turned over our information over to the authorities. All right, so to answer your question, Johnny, they could dig it up and explore it themselves, but then the police wouldn't be able to use it in a criminal case against someone because the the chain of evidence, the handling. So the police have to really dig it up themselves and document their chain of evidence and protocol in order to use it to prosecute. So you're right in what a lot of people are talking about now, now that even more time has passed and nothing has been done, is they could possibly just hire their own professional team, dig it up, and verify themselves. Is it more? Is it not? If it is more, they wouldn't necessarily be able to use that in prosecution. I mean, I'm thinking they should be able to because if they hire a team that works with law enforcement and the whole thing is shot on video and chain of evidence is documented, I'm thinking they could still possibly do it, but I don't know. Okay, so that would mean whoever lived there last, that's the person who buried her or... This is under concrete? Yes. She's in a the concrete? There's, well, it might not be her. It might be someone well, else. Okay, yeah. Or it might be a large animal. I mean, I don't know. Supposedly it's these bones. are human. Well, these these cadaver dogs are trained to smell human remains. Okay. So. Imagine living there knowing that there's a possible dead body in your well, backyard. Well, that's what, that's what a lot of people are saying. Like, if you're the owners of the house, call the police every single day and say, oh, there's a dead body in my congregation. You guys got to come and do something about yeah. this. Yeah. On the other hand, though, if the police are complicit and they go take it and then it disappears, now what? Yeah, I don't know. That, that <laughs> looks, I mean, I guess that looks even more fishy, but we don't know. We really don't know. We don't know where all these strings are being pulled from, if this is all intentional, if this is just the most corrupt force in existence. We don't really know any of this information, but that's the update from John Smith. That sounds like really big news, though. Well, you know what else is weird? There's been some pushback on John Smith. A lot of people are saying, oh, the family's so mad. I mean, they didn't say they were mad. They're saying, like, John Smith said this. Why did he put this out there to make public? Like, this should be private for law enforcement. Because now people are going to try to find a property, go do, do it, look at do something themselves. I don't know, just craziness. And which is so silly because it's like when a suspect is announced in the police, people aren't like, oh, yeah, now like a whole lynch mob is going to go have vigilante justice but, and kill us. No, they're just putting out information so that way, also, if law enforcement is complicit in something, now there's a public record. Oh, look. This was filed with them to investigate. Now, if they don't, they're held more accountable. If John Smith had kept the secret, he like in another couple of years, they're like, oh, that's just the word of John Smith. There's no proof he ever gave the police. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's kind of, he did this to kind of protect the case and to make everything more transparent so the truth can come forward. So it's kind of telling how like Maggie and some of these other people are criticizing him or they're just so insane with hate, hate and jealousy for John Smith. Like they want to be the ones to solve the case. I don't know. Cause it seems like every time John Smith posts something, they go crazy. Hmm. Like everybody goes crazy with hate 
and John Smith. Like, there's a missing person here, like anything that can help. Or even if it's not Mora, like if that's somebody else, their family deserves justice and closure mm-hmm. as well. So it's kind of weird how people are hating on him. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, but also like, uh, so if that actually is her, whoever put her there knows that this information is known now. So yeah, so the they're saying that that might have been a strategy sure. also to kind of get them to do something. Because they might, what if they go in the middle of the night, try to dig it up, or like kill the people that live there now, or like, I mean, well, I that know. would be a big sign, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's just well, that dude's, or law that person's probably shook Law enforcement right now. also puts out certain comments sometimes for that purpose because they want a guilty party to kind of act. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. So back to the overdose rumor <laughs> and people that might have been at the party. Or it might not have been an overdose. If she was at some party where people were dealing drugs or doing drugs and someone kind of exposed her as a CI, because some people think she was a CI at UMass, if some of these shady individuals found out she was a CI and killed her. They set her up. Yeah, what do you think, Maxwell? (laughs) It's okay. I have no idea what we're talking about. Maxwell (laughs) Army. (laughs) What are we talking about? This is uh, Stephen Avery uh, podcast. (laughs) (laughs) The bonfire. (laughs) All right. So uh, there were a few men arrested not far from that accident site who were dealing heroin a few months after she went missing. So there was definitely a drug scene. There's police reports. There were men arrested not Hmm. far from where she had the accident. A few months after. So again, could just be another coincidence, just like everything else. <laughs> right, Maxwell? All a coincidence? All a coincidence. Here's a rumor some might not have heard. Once again, this is a rumor. It's not even an allegation. <laughs> it is a rumor, a local rumor. All I'm saying is that people have said this. Cecil Smith is reported to be the biggest Coke dealer in that area. <laughs> Who's Cecil? <laughs> you don't know who Cecil is, Maxwell? Supposed first encounter with. Isn't it weird how everything in this case is supposed? (laughs) Supposedly. (laughs) We don't know for sure. Yeah, so I don't know whether Cecil Smith is a Coke dealer or not. I don't know if he's lying about stuff or not. I don't know if he's a good guy or not. All I'm saying is that people have said that they heard that he was the biggest Coke dealer in the Haverhill area. You got that good Coke? (laughs) Coca Cola? Cocaine? We don't know. But (laughs) so there were definitely shady actions. And if the police are involved in some kind of drug ring and human trafficking, as noted in some town minutes at town meetings, that there is a human trafficking problem in that area. And of course, it is. It's known as a drug corridor. That entire highway up through Vermont, the St. Albans area in Vermont, all the way from Massachusetts, it's known as kind of a a drug mule corridor. People bring drugs up there and always have. Sounds like a place to go. Yeah. So, I mean, New Hampshire is considered one of the worst heroin dens in the entire country. Damn, really? It has a big heroin problem, yes. Wow. That's nuts. So, especially back in 2004, so the Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont, I mean, it was basically like a, a drug highway, that whole area. I mean, once again, we did the Brianna Maitland case. She was involved with some people who were bringing up drugs. It's, uh, I mean, it shouldn't be that insane. There's also a book called Mist in the Mountains, which actually exposes some connections to Rockwood, Tennessee, which is a huge, huge drug area. And, of course, in an early episode, we talked about how there's some, there seem to be a lot of people who moved to Haverhill from Rockwood, Tennessee. 
like an unusually amount, high amount of people. There's also a couple people who shortly after Morris's appearance moved to Rockwood. <laughs> they moved out of it, the, and then some actually moved back as well. So we Can't have make up their a, mind. <laughs> a plethora of people moving back and forth through known high drug problem areas. What do we think about that? Maxwell, do you think this whole thing is drug-related, CI-related? Episode 25, you Stay. should have some kind of base in the case by now. <laughs> Free State Project over there. <laughs> what do you think, Johnny? Yeah. Drugs. What's, yeah. Their, what's the state's motto? Uh, I think it's... Uh, Live free or die. Free yeah. Or die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Live free or die. I would say 99% of the people in the state are probably very good people and really believe that. And it's just the 1%. I mean, we're talking about dozens of people. It could only be just a few dozen people in the whole state that are just really, really messed up criminals. Even 100 people. That's not That's not a crazy amount of people. So we're not trying to make the state look bad. It's a beautiful state. And most of the people there, like most people everywhere, are probably really good people. And this isn't directed to them in any way. Just We're just talking about the shady people that exist everywhere, especially in big cities even more. I mean, there's more shady drug traffickers and human traffickers in New York City or Los Angeles or Miami or any big city is probably much less safe than New Hampshire. So not trying to propagate that in any way. Just specific to this case. Haverhill has a heroin problem. Yeah. Well, I mean, New, New Hampshire has a heroin problem. Okay. And it's mentioned it kind of crosses over in a lot of areas. Once again, as people in relation to the Brianna Maitland case, there's a lot of, you know, kids up there in high school, they don't have a lot of stuff to do. Some of them are poor or there's not a lot going on. So all the, you know, drugs are kind of a bigger problem in those areas. All right, let's move on to some more crazy, crazy, crazy rumors. All right, so do we know who Tom Conrad is? I don't know who he is. Nope. Never heard of him. So Tom Conrad was the guy who was shot outside of his mother's house in 2005. So that's not quite a long time after the Maura Murray disappearance. Unsolved case. This was September 28th, 2005. It's an unsolved homicide. Thomas Conrad, 54, died outside of his home in Pike, a village in North Haverhill. Officials said Conrad was shot to death around 9.30 p.m. just after he arrived to his home at 170 Lily Pond Road in his pickup truck. Conrad's mother, who lived with him, called 911. Authorities said he died of multiple gunshot wounds. The investigation into Conrad's death led police to a church up the street from his home, but officials wouldn't say how the church was connected to his death. Conrad's brother told WMUR in 2004 that they were in shock and that they were a close-knit family that was always there to help each other. So this, yeah, this is an unsolved homicide, of which there's quite a few. We're going to do a future episode on other disappearances and murders that are unsolved in the area. So this is not the most safe place in the world. There's some shady stuff going on in this area. So some people think Tom Conrad might have known something about the Maura Murray situation and that he was silenced. Now, that's that's a rumor. Now, there's another for, there's another rumor that actually alleges that Claude Moulton's ex-wife killed Tom Conrad. Tom Colton? Uh, <laughs> Johnny Army. Wait, what? <laughs> Would you say Tom Colton? No, no, I said there's theor- there's some people 
there's rumors out there from locals that Claude's ex-wife killed Tom Conrad. Claude Moulton. Claude Moulton is the A-frame. Oh, remember the A-frame house where they found blood stains and wood chips? Turned out it probably has nothing to do with Maura Murray, and it was actually investigated. There was the A-frame owner at that time. And he was one of the suspects who worked at a car salvage yard. So he actually was crushed... Was it the Avery yard? <laughs> he actually crushed, yeah, vehicles and had access Could to Could that be the house that uh, John Smith tested? Or No, you don't think so? The A-frame? No, no, no. The A-frame? This has nothing to do with the A-frame. He specifically said that. Nothing to do with uh, the A-frame okay, or okay. Rick Forcier. And there was no concrete foundation poured. Okay. Although there was a concrete slab in the yard. <laughs> Do you know where that house is? The A-frame? Yeah. Yeah, it's not that far from the crash site. Like the address? or Yeah. You can look at pictures of it. It's, it's yeah, bought and sold, kind of kind of frequent. And he, he's also the one who had the girlfriend who kind of looked like Maura Murray. Oh, that guy. Yeah, Claude Moulton. So here's the other thing that's kind of weird. So obviously some of the rumors are that somehow, some way... Or some people actually think there was a party at the A-frame and the Moltons were there. <laughs> Something happened to Mora, and then they had to get rid of her car, so they used Moulton's girlfriend, who looked like Mora, to pretend to be Mora when they were moving the car just in case anybody saw them. And then the car broke down when either it wasn't supposed to or they wanted to stage it. Because supposedly that intersection has a lot of spin-outs. <laughs> so if they wanted to stage it as if it was a DUI spin-out, and had Claude Moulton's girlfriend just pose as Maura briefly before they picked her up in a red pickup truck or something. And that's why Butch Atwood initially said it wasn't her, because her hair was down, she looked a little different. But supposedly she looked kind of like Maura, especially at the time. So, Like, she wouldn't have to, like, pretend to be Maura, because nobody knows who Maura is out there, right? Yeah, but if they knew that it was going to be reported, because uh, if, mm. if she's dead and they want to dump the car or stage the car as a DUI walk away and make it look like she was suicidal or something. Okay, I guess that makes sense. I don't know. Because obviously we're missing a piece here. For that theory to work, they would probably need help from someone at UMass. So if, once again, not to point the finger at Kate or Sarah, but if they happened to be with her, like the Butson sighting, they were getting alcohol, they went to the party, she OD'd at the party, were they complicit in helping them get rid of the body? Is that why they never went up and looked for her? Is that why they won't talk about the case anymore? We don't know what happened. These are just local rumors. So the other strange coincidence, according to Maxwell, everything is a coincidence. <laughs> so Rick Forcier, where he reported that person in the hoodie running at an intersection between Route 112 and 116, that just happened to be the place where in 1977, Jean Allen Casavero of Vermont was last seen. She disappeared at that intersection. So this is a couple miles from the crash scene. This is not directly right next to the crash scene. This is down the road. Furthermore, that's where Rick Forcier said that he saw someone in the hoodie. Did not say he saw Mora. Hmm. And this was after he his initial alibi was that he was watching TV on the on the couch. And then months later, he was like, "Oh, actually, I was coming home from work at that time." Because there was a bunch of cop cars outside his house for the whole Mora thing that night. Six months later, he's like, oh, yeah, I did see someone running a couple miles away. It's kind of weird. But anyway, so Jean Ellen Casavera was reported missing. And James Renner actually found out about this case. He contacted the family and said that she had left her husband and children and returned several years later. So... That's kind of weird. 
but her daughter, Jean Ellen Casavero, her daughter married a local guy. Anyone want to take a guess who it is? Local in Haverhill? Yeah. Claude Moulton. <laughs> so, intro weird twists and turns in coincidences, oddities, and just bizarreness in the Haverhill area and around this case or connections to this case in the area in this case. So, once again, just a quick background on the A-frame and the bloody knife. So, Larry Moulton actually claimed that Claude Moulton killed her, and he gave Fred Murray the bloody knife that was used in the crime. And Fred Murray actually tried to turn it in at a police station, and they said they couldn't take it, so then he mailed it in, which is all highly strange. You're going to trust that? In the, I mean, I don't know. that. I have no idea what to think about that entire he story. He said that, too? Yeah. Fred we, Murray? Yeah, he, he corroborated that, yes. He's the one that actually said that. So uh, this whole case is bizarre. And and, and and Claude Moulton was polygraphed. I don't know if the results, what the results were. And there were other people polygraphed. Or he was at least scheduled to be polygraphed at the very least. So somebody gave Fred Murray a knife? and No, no, his brother, Larry Moulton. Claude Moulton's brother is implicating his own brother in this crime. And Fred we Murray never heard that. back the results from the knife. Never heard back. We don't. The public does not have the information. So isn't it? clear or like a possibility that his brother did it <laughs> i guess but since they didn't arrest him they polygraphed and they must if it's an up and up investigation they tested the blood it wasn't or i don't know but then they, you said he mailed it right so they probably didn't even test it they probably threw it in the garbage <laughs> what do you think maxwell <laughs> i don't know <laughs> like what, did he at least put a note like yo somebody uh you know oh i'm sure i'm sure and he, i'm sure he notified them by phone as well but um i wonder what he's up to right now who, Claude? Whoever, those molten peoples. All right, well, here's the deal. So he gave Fred Murray the knife that was supposedly used in, in the crime. So a lot of people think that Claude Moulton might have been the killer. He's one of the main suspects in certain people's eyes. Does he have concrete at his house? There was a concrete slab, but it was Ooh. unknown when it was placed there. And there was GPR done on it, but I don't, there were no, you know, mm. I don't think anything was there since... Not much to go on there. So the other thing that's weird is Jean Casavero kind of looks like Mora as well. They all have similar features. As, so there's two people? Two. As, well, she went missing in 77. Oh. Much older. His girlfriend at the time looked like Mora. I believe she was young, like 17 at the time or something like that. And Claude was old. <laughs> but, yeah, kind of weird. So, Maxwell, not participating in this podcast? There's not, there's like nothing going on. <laughs> All right, so she got dropped off at this intersection, disappeared, and so it's just a couple miles east of the, of Mora's accident site. 1977, Casavero was dropped off at the intersection of 112 and 116, which is just a couple miles east of Mora's accident site. Uh, one year later, Claude Moulton marries her daughter. So... Someone actually spoke to Claude's extended family, and he supposedly, so his girlfriend at the time, he met her when she was 14 and he was 34. <clears throat> and they lived in the A-frame house on Valley Road. This is one mile from where Mora was last seen, if it was Mora. And he drove a truck for Lincor Environmental Company. So Claude's version of the story is that Larry, his brother, made up the story about him killing Mora in order for the reward money to get the reward money that was put up because he was some kind of drug user degenerate 
and that's the kind of thing he would do. So that's what Claude said about his brother. And so after Larry came forward with this information, Claude Moulton was scheduled to have a lie detector test. I don't know if we've ever got any confirmation that he actually took it or whether he passed or failed. Although from documents and affidavits, it is known that there were lie detector tests done in this case. Just like everything, none of the information has really been released. Supposedly, Claude also has a history of domestic violence. The other thing that's weird, again, nothing but rumors, after Larry talked to police, Claude Moulton scrapped his red Volvo car. So he gets rid of his car for some reason. Or is it just a random coincidence? So, yeah, uh, so Gene Casavero actually came back in 1984. And this is from Renner, by the way, all this information, James Renner's blog. And he talked to James Casavero, and he said this about Claude. Claude is a good guy, smart guy. About Maura Murray, he says, she was obviously an alcoholic young lady. She ain't dead. No one abducted her. She'll come back one day. That girl, she's a expletive hoe, a drunken hoe, and her father, uh, expletive perv, you know what I mean. So it's kind of weird how a guy who doesn't know Maura or her father is going to talk crazy trash and apparently he does know Claude, and he calls him a good guy. So that's very interesting. It almost seems like he's trying to cover for Claude while talking trash about Mora and her father. I mean, in, I mean, is that completely obvious or what? Yeah. Because he doesn't know Mora. How is she obviously an alcoholic? How is that obvious if he never met her? Or if he did? <laughs> <laughs> Bizarre, bizarre statement. A lot of people talking trash in this case. So Claude's girlfriend, who lived with him in the A-frame, has made a few comments about Claude as well. So he's currently still working for the trucking company, and he used to work for a car-crushing company. So one of family members has said that Claude is quite charming and that she wouldn't be surprised if he was involved. And if Claude was involved, she wouldn't be surprised if his girlfriend was involved also. And this is coming from the girlfriend's family member. <laughs> so that's an interesting thing to say. Do we know how much gas was in her car when it was found? Yeah, it was almost full. So she would have hadn't got... We've talked about this many times. I don't remember, but I just Johnny's turning into Maxwell. Like she's, Johnny Army. <laughs> like in that area, maybe she... uh. Grab some gas at a highway. And yeah, we talked about that really? a lot. Yeah, because it might have had a security her. camera. It might have, if we knew where she got gas, yeah, that'd be helpful information to know. Because, that, yeah, she got gas somewhere. Cause yeah, was, that makes sense, right? So then maybe somebody stalked her at that. Yeah, we talked about that. Uh, I can't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so other rumors were that he was abusive. And other rumors is that he has eight children, eight or nine children by seven or eight women. Throw that guy in the garbage. Quite a promiscuous fella. <laughs> so he also apparently asked one of his exes to say that he is dead. So he was also asked by one of his exes to say that he's dead. And apparently this ex told this to John Smith. Other exes confirmed that he is alive. And the other podcast guys actually said that he is probably alive, and he lives in Piermont, New Hampshire. 
So that's pretty interesting. So if he wants everybody to think he's dead, what are the reasons for that? Because he did do something or he just he's tired of having his reputation tarnished, either justly or unjustly, because if he is what everybody says he is, I don't know. If he's dead, people can't continue trashing him as much, right? I don't know. So apparently they both moved to Maine and he owns a trucking company and his girlfriend spread bad rumors about him too because that relationship ended badly supposedly kind of like the rick forcier situation where these people are just talking trash to make their ex look bad for whatever reasons they might you know if they were abusive or bad people but that doesn't mean that these allegations are true supposedly claude also liked to kill animals and just leave them lying around on his property some people also speculate that through the trucking company, if you do kill somebody, if you're kind of doing a lot of multi-state trucking, you throw the body in the back, dump it at some site, you know, dump it at some state abandoned state park area, because you're always crossing state lines anyway, you're not necessarily going to have to get rid of a body locally, we don't know, so there was all, I mean... And Billy Roush also went to Maine to look for more as well. The, the, main, the main angle, I don't know if there's anything to it, but it doesn't seem like it was investigated incredibly thoroughly. I don't know. So other local rumors is that this fella, Claude Moulton, was friends with Jeff Williams. So who's Jeff Williams, Maxwell? Uh, I forgot who that is. <laughs> Johnny? No clue. Jeff Williams is the police chief, the one who supposedly hit more while he was yeah, driving drunk. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Him and Cecil Smith are like the two main figures in law enforcement, and I guess Monaghan, but it's mostly uh, Cecil and uh, Williams. So if Williams did hit and or kill Mora, and it was closer to the A-frame, what if he, he could have just went up to the A-frame and, and been like, yeah, listen, Claudie, we got to cover this up. Your girlfriend kind of looks like Mora. Why don't you just put her in the car? We'll try to dump the car somewhere. If someone sees us driving, they'll just assume it's her. No problem. What do you think? So, I mean, apparently some locals have believed this to be the case of what happened. Not necessarily that they have any real inside info, just knowing some of the people involved or hearing things from people who know these people. This is a local rumor. In no way substantiated in any way, shape, or form. Just a local rumor. When you're running with almost no information, sometimes you have to go to the... I mean, how many cases where it ended up being solved was one of the local rumors that was kind of just, oh, that's just a rumor, there's no evidence. A lot, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. Is this one of these times? Once again, like everything, we don't really know. But the thing that was weird with that is that means Butch Atwood would not know Claude Moulton's girlfriend. So there's not that many people living there. I mean, it's possible he didn't know her, but you would have to have that corroborated some way for him to mistake her for Maura Murray. That is, of course, if he was telling the truth anyway. Or, once again, Claude's ex-wife. Some people believe that she actually shot Tom Conrad because he had information about what happened in this case, and he was silenced. So this might have not much to do with the police conspiracy at all. If Jeff Williams is a shady guy, possibly Cecil too, then it's just the two of them. Whether they're drug dealers or doing shady things or just weird people and they're friends with these other shady characters like Claude Moulton, if they accidentally hit her, got rid of her, there's, not, there's no real con police conspiracy here. There's just this guy who happens to be the police chief who's not a cool guy and people aren't necessarily covering for him on purpose. I mean, once again, the main rumor is that he drove around drunk all the time. <laughs> <laughs> this is tough, man. 
All right, and then we, we went over uh, a Facebook post by Claude Moulton's cousin, alleged cousin, and she said that Claude was a great guy. So, And we also went over how that might have all been true. And, but, and Claude was really great to her. <laughs> and, but so, again, we, it's kind of hard to corroborate any of this information definitively. And where he worked was known as Jetstar, and supposedly a lot of mysterious things have happened around Jetstar as well. Oh, and just to clarify, Claude's ex-wife, I'm not talking about the girlfriend at the time who lived in the A-frame with him. That would have been a stand-in for Maura Murray. Stand-in. Yes, according to this theory. There were also other people that were killed by drug dealers, drug users in the area. So quite a few number of murders, disappearances, all of it. Okay, so another rumor is that in the basement of the Barge Inn, there was a unofficial strip club or un other unsavory location where this guy had whatever kind of private shows with a variety of uh, different kind of people. So it was a male strip club? <laughs> it <was> a guy? <laughs> no, the guy owned it. Uh and supposedly this guy, there were connected to this guy who owned it, and he knew Jeff Williams, Cecil Smith, a lot of these people, and Claude Moulton. And this is a whole weird connection to a lot of this shady, shady criminal activity. And Maura might have just stumbled into something she had no clue about. Well, like auditioning as a stripper? No. Oh. Just maybe some well, her friend. If there was a party, her friend was involved in some of these people. Crossing paths with criminals is does not often end well for many people. There's a lot of casualties in uh, in dealing with criminals, even unknowingly. I'm not mm. saying she knew they were criminals, but you know, people who know people sometimes they're shady. Hmm. So apparently, some people used to hang out here, and they actually said that it was uh, Claude Moulton's favorite spot to hang out in this basement. So there was a restaurant at the top floor, and there was a full bar downstairs, which was public, and there was a teen night on Friday night. Bouncers at the door. Other nights, the guy, and people who just posted these comments on topics or elsewhere, and there was another business, the Chalet Scaffer, and that one got burned to the ground. So supposedly people were insinuating that might have been arson related. And then, of course, there was the case where, um, where the guys were overheard in the diner talking about burning something. And there's a lot of weird stuff going on in this area. That was the Frank Kelly account where some shady characters were talking. So someone actually asked the owner of the barge in about the strippers and the weird stuff, and they denied it. And there were two open doors to the entrance, and there was also a back room. And we don't know what goes on in the back room. So other rumors are that Mora stopped to meet someone there and to get a drink or whatnot. And if someone else saw her there, like Claude Moulton, or if Jeff Williams was doing a, a run by there, get some more alcohol, who knows, and they saw her, or the friend wasn't really her friend. <laughs> I mean, there's there's so many... We can't overlook the human trafficking angle, which, again, was mentioned in the town minutes. It's it's all very, very bizarre. What do we think of that? No thoughts at all? This weird, crazy strip club, back room, shady characters involved. Could they have known Jeff Williams, Claude Melton? Are they all connected? What's going on? I like it. I don't know. It's a good movie.
No thoughts at all on whether it could be true or not or account for any of the strangeness in the case. Come on, this is episode 25, Maxwell. <laughs> you have no thoughts at all. Um, are you saying that... Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to think of it. Are you saying that like she was kind of recruited into stripping or something? Not at all. I said I said that, that she was... If she was meeting a friend, yeah. they stop by at this place for whatever reason and get a drink or whatnot if they know the... I don't know. They know the bouncer. Okay. Who knows what the situation? And uh, if Claude Moulton is there and they see her and they're mm -hmm. involved in some kind of weird drug or human trafficking situation and they see her. Yeah. Or if the, her friend is not really her friend. Ah. That's very interesting. And kind of set her up. Or she has an argument with her friend. A friend goes their way. She goes her way. And she's uh, followed they should look by some it. people. Yeah, we don't know where she stopped. I mean, obviously the people wouldn't be talking. Nobody's talking. We don't know where she was, what she did. Then that's the one we should look into because no one's talking about it. Nobody's talking about anything in this case. Got to go dig up that uh, concrete. That's interesting. Now go to that street, uh, that strip club. But no one, wait. And... All right, we haven't talked about Mr. Alden Olsen in yeah. quite some time. He's the sticker guy. <laughs> the the sticker. photo of the sticker. Maxwell, what do you think? You think that, you really think that's that strange? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so he made a topic post October 20th, 2012 to make a very long, very complicated story very short, which in some ways rings the truth out of it, in my opinion, just to be technically and politically correct here. Maura Murray went to New Hampshire to party. What happened in Amherst is basically irrelevant. There was a rumor that Bodie Miller and Chip Knight were coming in briefly between stops on the World Cup, which was then taking place in Europe. Rumors were flying everywhere. Girl talk, boy talk, party talk, all kinds of talk talk. <laughs> what is talk talk? <laughs> Chip this is Knight. what he said? This is what yeah, he wrote? This is, yeah. Alden this is Chip Knight is from Stowe, Vermont. Bodie Miller is from Easton, but was an Olympic medalist and officially associated with Bretton Woods. Who's going where? How to do this? Everything's kind of frantic and improvised. Mora meets someone at the bowling alley in Woodsville, New Hampshire, and starts for Easton, New Hampshire. Her car spins out on the weathered barn curve, and she takes a ride from her friend. They go to party, unaware that one of Mitt Romney's sons is in the area after working the 2004 primary. There has been bad blood between the Romney family and the Kenny Miller clan since they clashed at the 2002 Winter Games run by Mitt Romney. What's this dude talking about? <laughs> Security for the Salt Lake City Olympics was directed by Romney friend... General Bruce M. Lawler, first chief of staff of the Department of Homeland Security. <laughs> this is an incident that involves one of Governor Romney's sons. Mora dies more or less accidentally. Son tells dad, who asks Attorney General Kelly Ayotte to request detectives to go real, real slow on Mora's disappearance. Romney asks for help from his friend Lawler, who knows how to keep things quiet. Lawler taps longtime spook. I don't know who this person he named, to do the road work. It is unknown whether or not PR expert Shelley Clark was also involved. Yes, sirree, from the undeniable to the unbelievable. <laughs> what do we think of this? By the way, Lyco Kenny is, uh, I believe he's cousins with Bodie Miller. The guy that Bruce McKay, the, the guy who had that altercation and shot Bruce McKay. And oh, then okay, Greg Floyd shot 
like O'Kenny. Greg Floyd, I think, is cousins to Kelly Iote, the attorney general. And it's been alleged that Greg Floyd is a police informant, which is why he's not prosecuted. And he's buddy-buddy with Bruce McKay, just happens to be there, just happens to kill Lyco Kenny. So that's Bodie Miller's cousin, I believe, or distant cousin or something. And so now he's connecting Mitt Romney (laughs) into the Maura Murray case. You know what's weird, though? Like, he's so crazy, but he actually does his research. He uh, he makes these connections. Is that actually true that that was all... I haven't checked that, but other things that I've checked of his, like the strange black market organ people at UMass trying mm-hmm. to sell, like, the medical research, some of the people he named were indeed involved in what he said. Yeah. And some of the offices he found with, like, it... Most of the stuff he came up with was technically true. It doesn't prove anything in any way. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing about him. He comes up with a lot of technically true information, but it doesn't prove anything, and he kind of makes these connections, maybe based on information he has that he hasn't released. But he just throws out insanity, and, like, the one or two kernels that can be verified are verified. Uh, so it's it's just insane. Yeah, I read some of his blog. It's really uh, it's coherent. You know, he's not crazy. <laughs> Well, you mean well, he doesn't sound crazy doesn't based sound crazy, on yeah. his... Fr- Didn't he draw writing. a map or He's something? He's a pretty good writer. Yeah, well, we covered all that in the Alden episode. But all right, so let's let's go into the Victory Lanes bowling alley rumors. So there was supposedly an uncorroborated sighting at the bowling alley. So this is from Alden Olsen's blog. Early evening, February 9th, 2004, a 1996 Saturn with a University of Massachusetts parking sticker enters the parking lot of a bowling alley in Woodsville, New Hampshire. That's all he put. Like, he's, like, playing games. The thing about him is, like, he plays a lot of games. That's the article? That's all he wrote? That's just he wrote in that one blog post, yeah. A 96 like, Saturn pulled up into the... With a University of Massachusetts parking sticker oh, on February 9th. he was 9th. just, like, taking notes or just, like, writing notes down. No, but how would he know she went into a bowling alley? There was no report. There was no official reports of that. I don't know. Maybe he heard it somewhere. He was like, oh, let me maybe. just type this so I, in case I forget. Yeah, maybe. But how come never expand? And he, I mean, he he mentioned it again in the other article, but. It was one of the Kennedys. Oh, the one. Oh, man, that's messed up. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. Kennedy conspiracy. The Kennedy-Romney connection. <laughs> But here's the thing, though. Like, let's say Alden's insane theory is true. Like, if Romney's son ends up at a party where this girl ODs and he's somehow responsible, would would Rom would 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 one of these politicians just randomly give up their son? Be like, oh yeah, prosecute him. Or would they start some wheel spinning? Does this explain Billy Roush trying to get his mentor at West Point, Bob McDonald? Maybe they're the good guys and they know what they're up against, hmm. and they're trying to get the Haverhill to kind of. Make the make it legit, but they're too late, or they they're stonewalled by this general homeland security guy. He's got way more clout than they do, so their pull of friends isn't enough, and they're kind of quietly told you can't do anything about this, <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. I bet you didn't think we'd be talking about Mitt Romney in this episode, did you, Maxwell? Nope. <laughs> and that's probably why he didn't win. <laughs> two thousand four. <laughs> Wait, the election was in two thousand four, though, was it? Was it two thousand eight? Oh, was two thousand. Oh, there was one then. So Bush won again. All right, let me read. Let me read uh, this random Reddit theory, which is kind of spooky, I guess. I think she was invited to a big bash birthday party that was going on that night, 
near the river by a classmate who was from Londonderry. This explains that Londonderry ping. The classmate is a sister of one of the families of the birthday boy's friends. I think going to the party was a last minute thing. I think that's why she bought liquor to bring to the party. She picked up dad's insurance papers, so that indicates she was returning. I think they were supposed to meet up in Haverhill before the party, and they did, but Maura's car stalled out and got stuck, and the neighbors called the police when they heard the screeching. Her friends had to pull her out, and she accidentally went down Amanusak and got lost. She probably tried to call her friends and realized there was no signal, the red light that the neighbor saw in Moore's car. She rejected Butch because she probably thought the friends would find her and pick her up. People in Haverhill reported that it looked like people were looking for someone that night. I guess she's talking about the red truck sighting, but maybe other sightings as well. There was the party-going friends trying to locate her to help her get to the party. I think McKay and Floyd nabbed her when people weren't looking. That is why no one heard screaming. Mora went with cops willingly. Anyone would. McKay had privileges in Haverhill and was probably listening to the scanner and got there before the bozo cops of Haverhill. The party-going friends, probably upon hearing that she was missing, started blaming each other for the disappearance and made up a horrific story about tree mulching equipment to deflect from themselves and add to the folklore. After all, the best way to deflect attention from you is to blame others. I think Haverhill PD are bumbling idiots who distrust each other and that's why they are quiet and don't know what happened and won't answer questions. But Haverhill PD are innocent. So are the partygoers. So is Kathleen and Tim. I believe McKay and Floyd did this. New Hampshire is a state where citizens <laughs> allow other sports people to trudge through their backyard for nature sports. If if her body were anywhere in the wood of New Hampshire, someone would have found it. I think McKay put her in the sand pits. Where was McKay the following day? This is all my personal opinion. Your mileage may vary. So what's interesting, I believe there was there was also rumors that the sand pits were indeed searched. I think the sand pit owners, the guy that moved to to Tennessee right after she disappeared, he might have moved back after, I forget, or that family. So what do we think of that rumor? Interesting. It makes sense. I mean, the the logistics kind of makes sense. I mean, he. She, you she think was, it was McKay and Floyd, um, and the party going fine? It's all like amalgamation of all this craziness going on the same night. Let's not forget the suicide calls that were randomly being called in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or was that a distraction? Like they're moving the body, so they call in all these suicide calls to get people to get off the road that they're on. <laughs> That'd be kind of bizarre. There are also rumors that SUV 001 was at the A-frame that night with an underage girl. So could someone have borrowed 001? So, you know, what's strange is that we do have a police impersonator living in that area who's actually been arrested for impersonating a police officer. We've talked about this, remember, Maxwell? Yeah. So let me read a post. If witness A did not see either Williams or McKay, then I think it was the SUV that was being driven by a young man that was impersonating an officer and had been arrested for doing this. I have always been concerned about the drug activity of Tim and Kathleen. Who was the woman that Kathleen owed money to and for what reason? This is the only way I can see a connection with Maitland. So yes, was this another person, not Williams, not Cecil, who was driving the 001, maybe they knew him, maybe this guy had dirt on Williams or Cecil because they were involved in something drug-related, so they couldn't really go after him, they couldn't really get him in trouble, so they had to cover for him, not because they liked it, but to save themselves. Is that a possible explanation? Possibility. 
So another theory we need to go over, Mark Harper of MJA Investigations, which goes over the Maura Murray case, they actually have several suspects. They believe that two suspects were on the UMass lacrosse team. And the lacrosse field is not too far from where track and field practices. So there were these three suspects that supposedly had a reason to be in the area where Maura Murray disappeared. And supposedly there's no alibi for them the night she disappeared. Now, the other thing that Mark Harper addresses in that 2004 in Hanover, New Hampshire, around the university, there was a male driving a van reported as trying to get females in the van by offering them rides. So he's got these suspects on the lacrosse team. Other people point to suspects on the ski team because they were at Loon Mountain for competitions and whatnot. Mora might have known some of them. And then, of course, we have this person. There was supposedly uh, a male and female couple trying to abduct people in a van <laughs> in New Hampshire as well. Hmm. So a lot of strange activity. Very, very bizarre, strange activity. Some people also think that if she's going on Route 10 north, she's going through the Dartmouth College campus. So there's other colleges in that area that we haven't looked at. I mean, it is quite common for college students to know people at other colleges, either people they went to high school with or friends of friends of people they went to high school with. True. Or just family members, cousins, or their friends. So, I mean, when we have this little information on a case, we might have to expand the search area to other colleges because if she's driving near another college she could be meeting up with people from other colleges it doesn't have to just be umass right it could be amherst so yeah okay another thing so the rick forcier situation so the guy parody interview on aaron larkin's podcast he's saying that rick forcier was always the main suspect he did it he cites some kind of psychic evidence to support this information and a whole bunch of hearsay. He says that Rick Forcier said that Mora came up to his front door looking for sex. <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah, that's what he said. Didn't you listen to the interview? Wait, what? <laughs> Wait, okay. That psychic told him that? No, no. Oh, man. Johnny Army. <laughs> no, I listened listen to that whole podcast with Aaron. Mora. Guy Parody, yes. He said that Forcier said that. Maura Murray walked up to his front door and solicited him for sex. I'm sure she did do that. He I died, know, right? right? Yeah, but he said... Uh, That's what well, he said! At least from what I hear from, like, uh, well, at least my impression of Rick Forcier is, like, he's kind of like a... Looney? Like yeah, it's kind of like an asshole. Like, he probably <laughs> said that to... To... To cover him? What is he? Well, no, if he to, raped and killed to, her? Not to be to be an asshole. Yeah, the, that, that girl came up to me and wanted to... Fuck me and shit. Like, I don't know. That's like, that's one who... That dude died? He's dead? Rick Forcier? No. Oh, he's not dead. No. He's old? Kind of old, yeah. Mm. I mean, there's no real... That's the guy whose trailer they searched when he moved. As soon as yeah. he moved, like, they got on and searched. Yeah, yeah, So, or the trailer... Why did they from. think that he did it? Because he was right there. That's where the scent disappeared. If the scent is legitimate, if it was her glove and not... I mean, there's, there's a long list of ifs, but... He's kind of the suspect I think everybody wanted focus on for whatever yeah. reason, if they're diverting or whatnot. But here's another theory that people had. If Forcier was a CI, because <laughs> if Glo Greg Floyd was a CI, if Forcier was a CI, some of these people knew each other, 
is this intentional obfuscation to get people looking away from law enforcement if he is a CI and there's some kind of weird situation there. So if he claimed these, if he made these claims on purpose to make himself the focus of attention, right? Because there's such ridiculous claims like, oh, he's guilty, whatever. Like attention is taken away from other things that can be focused on. So the other thing that some people find suspicious is these months later, that's when Witness A was more publicized talking about 001. So if Rick Forcier can kind of put the attention on himself, if he's a CI, he knows he's not getting prosecuted for it because he's their CI. They're not going to go after him for it. So he can make these statements without fear of reprisal legally. And so that way people can start saying, oh, the 001 situation, nothing to see there. Don't look at that. And then also we know that Atwood's mother worked for the police department. What if Atwood was a CI? <laughs> or not necessarily a CI, but what if all these people have some kind of close relationships with law enforcement? And would that account for some of these anomalies as well? Because he made comments in bars and stuff saying that Maura Murray like cooked in his kitchen. She cooked for him and stuff like that. This is after she went missing. So he's making all these jokes. Is he doing all this stuff on purpose? All right, another thing we have to go over. Do you guys know the whole rag in the tailpipe situation? Yeah. Yeah. So let's spin this theory that I've seen floated a couple in a couple places. What if the rag in the tailpipe was a message to her family that the cops got her? Why? Well, here's here's the thing. So cuz he he told her to do that so right. there's no smoke, right? Right. So here's the thing. And both Fred and Kurt, both Fred and Kurt were kind of adamant and they seemed honest when they're talking about the rag and the tailpipe. So the rag was actually not stuffed up inside the exhaust pipe. So if you watch the Oxygen Show in episode three and four, they go over that according to the first responders, the rag was dangling eight to ten inches down from the tailpipe. So it, it would not have stayed in like that. Because it blows out no matter what, so especially if it's dangling. So it looks like more of a flag signal than an actual let's stop smoke from coming out or let's stop the car from running. It looks like someone left it there real quick as a signal. And, of course, we have the flurry of activity reported by the Westmans. She went to the back to get the rag in the tailpipe for whatever reason. I don't know. Maybe it's because a cop stopped her earlier, a cop was chasing her, or she knew something was evident. Or the cop was already there and she said, let me just go get something from my trunk real quick. Then I'll go in and she, if it was McKay or whoever, she knew the situation was bad. And her, cause her father's advice is put the rag in the tailpipes so the cops won't get you. So could that have been some kind of a last ditch effort for her to signal something? That's interesting. Yeah. So like having it in there, that means the cop. Something to do with cops. Yeah. Well, like that's their own private thing. That... That's a theory. Well, no, he said for the smoke. Johnny, you don't no, remember any of this? I remember the smoke thing, but why would they have anything to do with the cops coming to get you? Because the whole reason to stop it from smoking is so you don't get stopped by cops. So oh. if her cell phone doesn't work, what other way does she have to communicate? She could just be hoping that hopefully it'll be interpreted in that way because she can't think of anything else. Just a theory. It's, okay. just, it's not my theory, but I've seen it floated, Could... and I, I think it's kind of interesting. Because at what point would she have put that rag in there? And it wouldn't have, wouldn't have fallen out if it was 8 to 10 inches down from the exhaust pipe? Like, how far was it? Like, it wasn't like a 20-foot rag. <laughs> it's like probably like a regular, small, little mechanic-type rag. Yeah, wouldn't it just be in there all the time? Because, like, 
like after you're done driving, you'd pull it out, and then when you go drive, you put it back in, or did you just leave it there? So, I mean, I don't know. It's just at that point, like if your cell doesn't work and you're being kind of taken from a location against your will, sort of, like if the cop tells you to go. And the, the other good point is it was already getting kind of dark, so how much of smoke would you even see at night on a dark road? So yeah. at that point, we're looking at, you know, five to seven-ish. It's getting dark. Why would she, if she's going to, if her car spun out, is she going to put the Ragnar type up there? Or did she just put it, I mean, I guess if she put it in shortly beforehand, like the spin out in the snowbank earlier that was reported, if that was her. Yeah. If that was her and she put that rag in just shortly before, that could explain it. But if she put it in on site at the spin out and it's dark out, I don't know. Would you what, put. What, what were you saying? It was dangling out of the thing? Eight to 10 inches dangling down. So if you put it in like that and then start driving, it'll come right out. Yeah, so they're saying it's just coming out of the tailpipe, yeah, like, like it's she hanging. Put it, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it wasn't stuffed all the way in. Mm-hmm. Unless she's stopping. She... I mean, is she stopping every 10 minutes to keep it no, stuffed like, in? No, like what if she had no idea it was even there? <laughs> what do you mean? It's just in there. Permanently? She never drove it, right? I thought she never drove it. Would the... it last that long? So if it was stuffed. Oh, we didn't think of that. If it was stuffed all the way in. Yeah, and she didn't just, even know. She just drive. Oh, the car just stopped because it was blocked or something. I don't know. Would it last that long though, all the way up to New Hampshire? I don't know. We gotta try it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they never- did try it in the oxygen demonstration. The the rag flew right out after after yeah. it was put in. Yeah, I don't know. It could have been wet. Could have been frozen. <laughs> Lodged in there perfectly. I mean, I don't know. It's kind of. If you can't think of anything else to do, would you leave some kind of signal? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I would leave it on the window or something. But that could blow away more easy, I guess. No, you open the window and you and you close it. But like, what that's if... what cars do when they leave them on the side of the street. Oh, they do? I didn't even know that. Yeah, like kind of like a... But what a... if... Well, if that's known that people do that and the officer's at the front nose-to-nose with her, like, she can't do that. So she's like, oh, I have no, to go, let me go no. get a bag from my trunk, and that's the best yeah, yeah. she can do because that person, if it's nose-to-nose, he wouldn't see her do that. So that might be the best she can do. I don't know. Yeah, like on the side of the highways, if there's a car broken down or you kind of like want to signal that you're going to be coming back to get it, usually well, you put like a thing yeah, on there, like and a marker. Maxwell, any thoughts on that whole situation with the, te- with the rag? Well, I, I, I thought, uh, I mean, if she did put it in like before, uh, maybe having it run kind of like not push it out all the way, but make it make it dangle. I don't know. So, okay. You know what I mean? Like she put it in all the way, but after her driving for a while, it it was dangling. Well, the other the other super bizarre thing is why they made Fred Murray take the rag out. Like they didn't test it. They didn't they didn't they want they want fingerprints. Like they. What do you made, mean? When they brought it back, they brought well, it. They they towed it to Lavoie. Okay. Lavoie's place, which was by the way again not the tow rotation, not where it was supposed to go, his private garage. But when Fred Murray arrived, they took him to the vehicle and told him to take the rag out. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Obviously, we're talking. This was, this was they, fr- they, take they the rag out. They thought they weren't thinking murder back then, right? Like at that DUI time. walk away. I guess not. But well, I don't know. That was several days later. That was a Friday, so she disappeared Monday, and this happened on Friday the thirteenth, where they uh, they told him to go take the rag out, and he was able to like pull it out of the driveway. It started up just fine too, so it wasn't like it was, it wasn't in that bad shape. The only other thing I've seen that people postulate is that if the police wanted to see his reaction, 
on the rag and the tailpipe for some reason, but that doesn't make any sense either. Okay, so final point on this rumor mill podcast is so all of the red truck we did a whole episode on the red truck we've referenced the red truck multiple times afterward a lot of people had a red truck some people got rid of their red truck some people repainted their red truck after the fact so here's an interesting post someone named monkey made a post from edmonton canada on june 15th 2011 this may perhaps be where the mysterious red pickup truck as observed by witness ro comes into the picture it seems quite likely that the wit that the driver of the truck was looking for someone in or near swiftwater and this person might have been mora they quoted this text hey bill have contact witness that saw a red truck whether you could get information about mora also i heard from this post that the truck driver was looking for someone that the person taught looking mora that he or she said saw Mora get into a red truck two minutes before the police and ambulance started arriving in the area. So that's kind of weird. Someone's either incorrectly referencing some kind of a report that someone saw Mora get into a red truck. And of course, there was that other police call that there was a red truck parked by the woods with the door open and the driver in the woods. So if she did get into a truck and that other 911 report is related, then did she get into the truck and then she tried to get away? And then that's when something happened? Because if the police, if this had nothing to do with McKay or Floyd and they just pounced on her after the fact or whatever, because that was that area or the other persons of interest, that property around there, they were owned, that properties around there are owned by multiple persons of interest in the case. What do you think? Or it could have just been misstated that she never did get in a red truck and that could have been a, some kind of a mistake. Or if it wasn't a mistake, that means someone early on in the case at least said they saw more get in a red truck. Whether she did or not, that's a different issue. So a lot of strange red truck weirdness. All right, so final thoughts on rumors, these local rumors, some of which have persisted for quite some time. Local rumors effective at getting to the truth? No? Yes? In general? That's, uh, that's good. I don't know. I mean, I kind of abide by you gotta You got to investigate and rule out everything. Obviously, I don't think any of these rumors should be taken at face value without verification of some kind. But when a case has so little information, what else can you do? And again, I point, like, there's a lot of cases that were solved that there were certain rumors at the beginning that were kind of laughed off or discredited, and at, at the end it turned out that that was true, so... It's, it's just very bizarre, and once again, we will be getting into other disappearances and murders in the area, and if they could possibly be related to kind of a ring of criminals that may or may not involve law enforcement or politicians. So thank you again for joining us for another edition of the Mindshock Podcast, True Crime. If you like the podcast, you can donate to our PayPal. Just check the link in the description. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. And if you like the video, like the video. Feel free to share it wherever. Leave any questions, comments, or thoughts. And make sure to like our Facebook page. And you can also check us out on Reddit, Twitter, and Patreon. This is Bruce McGuire signing off. And Maxwell Powers. Johnny Mills. <laughs>